Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Mangelson, and today we have on a voice that you are all familiar with, we are speaking with Karen Peter, who is the host of Common Ground series. And today we are going to be talking about hospitality and being invitational. So thanks for coming on, Karen. Yes, you're welcome. So I guess the reason why I wanted to talk to you about this, um, number one, just for a little bit of background information, Karen is coming to the Salt Lake Congregation in a week. Wow. It's, yeah, it's in a week. Mm-hmm. Um to give a workshop on this topic. And I know that in the Salt Lake Congregation, we've struggled with finding a balance of what should hospitality look like. We want to be radically hospitable, um, but then we can also be kind of shy sharing our faith or sharing who we are, or we can go the opposite end and we kind of just want to word vomit everything and everything about us. And this is our entire story um, starting in the 1830s. And, you know, we get a little bit too crazy. So it's my hope that through this conversation with Karen, that we'll be able to find out kind of what's a good common ground for uh, being hospitable. Nice one, Brittany. (laughs) So when we say that uh, we are being invitational or hospitable in the church, what exactly are we referring to? And do you think that hospitality and being invitational are the same thing? Okay, so two questions right off the bat. Are they the same thing? No, I do not think they are the same thing. I think people use them interchangeably, but but they're very different. So I think about these things like um, if I'm planning an event to invite people to my home. So I'm hosting a, a bridal shower for someone or I'm, I'm having a dinner party and inviting friends over. So the invitation is that aspect of this process where you're actually contacting someone, calling someone, whatever it, you, however you want to say it and, and inviting them, calling them into something. So that's that very practical step of building that connection with someone else to kind of reach out to them and invite them into your space, whatever that space may be. Hospitality is what you are offering when they come. And so hospitality is both the preparation before the invitation And it's what is going to take place now that that person has come into your space, your relationship space, and you are now going to have an interaction. What is that going to look like for them? Not for you, but for them. And so there there are different pieces of this whole idea of what it means to be a disciple who shares the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that is welcoming, that is um, healing and whole, and that is authentic. Right. So the whole idea of invitation and hospitality are part of our authentic discipleship where we're building relationships with other people. So that can be hard to do, though. Yes, it is. (laughs) I think that there is a lot of, I guess, hesitancy because you don't want to seem, I don't know, you don't want to maybe seem prideful or that like we have it all. And so to be whole, you have to come to us or you have to join our church or you have to, you know, whatever. Um, So how do you find that balance? Because I've also heard Seegers talk about um, Community of Christ being the best kept secret. <laughs> I think maybe John Beamer was the one that I first heard that from, um, that, you know, it's the best kept secret within the 
restoration. But a lot of us are hesitant to share that message. A lot of us are hesitant yeah. to even initially be invitational. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Yeah. So I think it's two sides of the same coin, and the coin is comfort. So in community of Christ, in our congregations, we tend to have a certain level of uncomfortableness about invitation, about um, sharing with others in a way that would invite them to participate in this journey with us. And I'm not overly sure what that is because there's so many pieces that go into it. But I think part of it is just having um, lived through experiences either individually or congregationally or community-wise where we've been negatively compared to other Christian denominations. And so it makes us uncomfortable to kind of share who we are or to be perfectly frank, the activity that happens in our gathering time, which is usually worship, is not of the quality that we are comfortable with inviting other people to. So that's that's a really frank answer to that. And that doesn't mean that's everywhere and all the time, but it's it's out there if we're honest with ourselves. The other side of that coin is being too comfortable with how things are. Things are fine. My little congregation is fine. The 20 of us who gather every Sunday are fine. We, we get everything done. Um, it's great. So why would we need to do anything differently in our account? We have a nice building. We're fine. And so we don't even think then about change or behavioral ways that we can change our own behavior to be more, more welcoming, more invitational. So I think it's both of those things. It's either being uncomfortable, having experiences that have made us uncomfortable and reaching out or being too comfortable and happy with how things are. That was one point of your question. The other thing was oh, yes. in Salt Lake, um, it's either we hesitate talking to people or we mob them with yeah. we and, you know, what did you say verbally vomit all over them, which is a lovely way to share that. So, um, and I've seen both. <laughs> I've seen both of those things um, happen. So if you think of your own experience in walking into a new venue of some kind, it doesn't have to be church, but a friend's house you haven't been before and there are lots of people there or a meeting at your job and you're new to the job and it's all new people. There's, um, there are all sorts of things going on in you when that happens, right? You're a little bit nervous, a little bit of anxiety, not too sure what to do um, or where to be or how to act. And, and all of that's playing in your head. And so hospitality is being a person who recognizes that that's the experience someone is having and is willing to um, develop an interaction with them that allows them to serve as kind of a, a gentle guide through the process. So not an overwhelming, oh, we're so glad you're here. Would you like to be in charge of nursery next Sunday? But rather recognizing that this is uncomfortable and finding ways to interact that ease that, that anxiety in people. So I remember going to a Greek Orthodox church when I was um, in seminary. In one of my classes, we had to visit other faith traditions to get a feel of what worship was like. So I went to a Greek Orthodox church. And I don't know if you know this. I didn't. I was very uninformed. Um, their services are in Greek. And so I had no idea, nor did the people with me. We didn't know what was going on because everything's literally in Greek. Um, the hymns, everything. And this man, and I'm assuming this was his congregational job, although he didn't say that to us. He just came to where we were sitting and kind of helped us through the 
order of worship to kind of know what was going on and when to stand and when to sit. And, and he didn't make a big deal out of it. He just was kind of present with us. And it was helpful. I mean, it did. It, it, it kind of eased that anxiety of not knowing what was going on and kind of having someone navigate that with you. And, uh, and that it, it was a real blessing. The, uh, the opposite of that, although it was a wonderful experience, was going to, um, St. Stephen's in Kansas City, which is a large African American church. And we happened to go on Mother's Day. So it was jam packed with 300 people. And we came in at Sunday school and there was something happening in Sunday school that I didn't understand. And so I leaned forward to the lady in front of me and said, what, what is going on? And she said, Oh, those are people that have decided to accept Jesus and are joining the church. And then she said to me, would you like to join? And I thought, well, that might be uh, a little early in our relationship, but thank you for the invitation. And so that's kind of the opposite of, you know, brand new interaction probably isn't the time for that uh, conversation. And so in community of Christ, it's finding somewhere in the middle of that, right? It's yeah. recognizing that we might be an unfamiliar place to others and being gentle guides for people. And also being available to answer questions that people have. Because if we haven't gone up and said, hi, I'm Karen. Um, I'm new here, which is what I usually say because I visit there. And so like, I'm a visitor here, even though I'm a member of Community of Christ. Um, I don't always know what's going on. How are you doing? And that way, I'm not coming at it from a position of I have everything together, you know, and I'm um, a representative of all this wonderfulness that you can be a part of too, but rather I'm just being honest. I'm a visitor here and sometimes I get a little lost. What's going on? And there's a lot of kids here and oh my God. And you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me, I mean, sometimes like I've seen you when you visited in Salt Lake and I kind of want to be like, when I see you talking to people, I'm like, do you know who you're talking to? You are talking to Karen Peter, president of 70. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't tell people that though. I know. And I, and I appreciate that. Like I wait for it to come out or whatever, because you know, there, I mean, I do think that there is some weight to your ministry, obviously. Um, but when you come, you are coming as the president of 70, but that's not what you lead with. I mean, you want to find common ground, like, Hey, I'm, I don't attend this congregation every Sunday either. And Oh my gosh, there's a kid jumping off the piano. That's yeah. <laughs> or three or three. Yeah. Sometimes they are my kids. <laughs> I wasn't going to share that, Brittany, but okay. Um, there really are a lot of, it's not just my kids anymore. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> there's a lot of kids. Yeah, there's a lot. It's one. It's wonderful. I don't want to give the wrong impression. Uh, it really is wonderful. I go to too many congregations where there are no kids, and I would rather have the sermon interrupted by three kids squealing than than to not have you know, children in a congregation. Yeah. So, um what I guess are some practical and tangible ways that our congregations can be welcoming. Um, you talked about just going up to people and finding common ground, just saying, Hey, I'm so-and-so, um, you know, what brings you here today? Or, um, you know, what are, what are the things that we can actually do to make people feel welcome? Yeah. So there are a lot of things, um, in community of Christ, we've kind of, experimented with lots of different methodologies to help people, you know, become prepared to be hospitable. And so we have old resources where we have checklists of things congregations can do to make sure that they have proper signage and that 
um, everybody knows where the front door is. And, and, um, and because those resources is, are old, sometimes we forget that those things are still important. So let's talk basics first, right? If I'm inviting you to come to my house to stay for a couple of days or to come for dinner, I'm going to do some preparatory things. I'm going to make sure some things are done before you come. I'm going to, um, make sure that my house is clean. I'm going to make sure there's toilet paper in the bathroom. I'm going to plan what I'm going to have for dinner, right? I'm going to do all of those things ahead of time. And then you're going to come. And so those kind of preparatory things are things congregations can already have in place before anybody visits. Because most of our congregations aren't aren't like Salt Lake. They don't have visitors every Sunday. But we still have to have those things in place, right? So we need to make sure that the GPS directions on the Community of Christ app actually get people to where you are. And we need to make sure that our lawn is mowed and people can see the Community of Christ sign from both directions of the highway that they're turning off of into the, the parking lot. That people from the parking lot can tell where the entrance is. And I mean the entrance people use, right? So it's not like you guys don't use the front door. You guys use the side entrance. Well, there's nothing that says that for a visitor. Nobody knows that that's what's going on um, to come in there. If someone does come through the front door into the foyer, often there's nobody there. So they don't know where to go from there. And so how do we, how do we, um, provide those gentle guidance aspects, those guideposts, if you will, to help people navigate through this? How do we prepare that? And the way to do it is to think like a visitor. I know John White, who's a senior president of 70, he actually sends secret visitors to congregations to kind of navigate through and then come back and report back if it was, you know, hard to do or not. And then he shares that information with congregations with, which um, I think is an interesting uh, thing to do. I tend to just come with a lens of a visitor and say, if this was my first time here, would I know where, what to do and where to go? Um, kids are a big thing. And so even if there aren't kids in a congregation, do you have a place for a mom with a small child? Do you have a nursery area and the stuff in it, is it clean? Is it unbroken? And have you made sure that that crib in there isn't one that's been recalled because the bars in it are too far apart and it's a safety hazard? I mean, all of those kinds of things need to be done ahead of time. The other thing that needs to be done ahead of time is personal, intentional practice on how you do have conversations to build common grounds. How do you go to someone um, and replicate what you would do in your normal life, right? You go to a PTA meeting, there's another mom there, you're sitting by each other, you start chatting, right? Like, oh, I'm so sorry, is my kid bothering you? Or, oh my gosh, I hate PTA meetings or whatever it is that you're talking about. And pretty soon you guys are talking and then you're talking about where you live and you're having a natural conversation. Church is the same way, right? But you have to be intentional about it. You have to go in with a mindset that says, I'm open today to other people and to welcoming other people and be prepared for that. And some of us have to practice that. So those things are really, really important to put into place. With that, uh, talking about practicing conversation, I think that that's really important. I know that one thing that I'll say that we struggle with in Salt Lake is assuming that everyone that walks through our door is walking through for the same reasons that brought us through the door. And I've been guilty of making that assumption. So uh, maybe I'll share a little bit of what brought me to community of Christ. And then I realize, like, Oh, maybe what brought me to community of Christ will make them leave community. Of Christ. So, 
<laughs> I've had the same experience, Brittany, so it's okay. <laughs> and and then, you know, you just feel stupid, like, oh, I spoke too soon or, you know, whatever. But um, not that these conversations are bad necessarily, but it is a hard balance of knowing how to kind of be a little vulnerable. Um, because, I mean, I'm relatively new in the church. I've been a member for three years now. So it is really easy for me to talk about what brought me to Community of Christ. But I've had to remember that just because I was once a Latter-day Seeker doesn't mean that all Latter-day Seekers are the same. And so you can't make assumptions of why the person stepped in the door. And I think that Salt Lake has been guilty of that a time or two. And it's fine. I mean, we we've we are growing and we are growing in diverse ways that I think were maybe unexpected. But it's, I mean, it's a good thing, but we've just had to learn like, oh, just because, you know, unity and diversity doesn't mean that all the leftover people will all be the same. (laughs) Well, that's true. And from a former LDS perspective, I mean, the LDS experience is sameness, right? It is this kind of common denominator. And so it seems like that's a normal assumption to make, even if it in this case is is incorrect. I think people who are raised community of Christ have the same experience though. They assume they assume everybody who's coming would have the same experience that they have had. And so a lot of times folks just simply don't share with others because they assume everybody knows what they know. Or they do what I call the cornering the visitor ministry, <laughs> which is they go over and, and they start talking to a person and don't stop to the point where that person is almost shrinking away from them. And I've also, I think in congregations, we all, we all know that one person in our congregation who does that to others. Right. And so part of our preparation is being honest about that with ourselves and saying, if I see that happening, I'm going to go rescue that person. Mm. I'm going to go over and say, Hey, have you met so-and-so? And I'm going to, Gently take them, you know, by the arm and, and remove them from that situation. Um, that's part of ministry of presence, I think, is being um, sensitive to those things. So when people come in, yeah, finding the conversation, a place to start in a conversation is really interesting. I tend to ask questions. Yeah, I've learned that that's the best route to go. Um, is to do less talking, more listening. Um, usually people are pretty willing to share. Um, but if they're not willing to share, then that also gives you a, social cue of what that balance should look like. So sometimes you just made a good point about social cues. Sometimes in the life of the church, we forget everything that we've learned outside of the church because we all have skills that we've learned either from our work or our education or our social environment, our family experiences. We have these skills that we use, whether they're technical skills or social skills. And then we walk through the church doors and it's like, we forget to bring those with us. And so here we are. In this little spiritual incubator, we're completely naked of our social and and um, life skills. And we need to remember to bring those with us into um, our life in the church and to look at body language and to, to watch for those cues that tell us, ah, this person is really uncomfortable with this conversation. I need to find a graceful um, exit. Or this person really seems to be seeking something who can I connect them with that could be helpful and, um, and use some of those, those skills that we have. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why, that's why God created us, right? All different is we have this different set of skills that we bring with us. 
Yeah. And I think that that's key is knowing when maybe you're getting in over your head and you need to maybe pass it off to somebody else. I mean, I'm just thinking of situations like sometimes people will ask a question that I don't necessarily know about, like whether it's a historical thing or whatever, and just kind of knowing people that I'm able to bring into those conversations, I think is really helpful. And then I look like less of an idiot. And then it expands the circle of people that this visitor has met. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So another element to this that I think is important um, is the online presence, um, whether that's a Facebook group or a website, etc. Um, what can you speak about how that relates to being invitational? Well, I think this is an aspect of our um, hospitality, our practice of Christ-like hospitality that is essential for congregations to recognize. Um, we don't realize because we've always done things a certain way, and normally that way is verbal or in print in the life of community of Christ. We don't realize that Facebook and um, the um, webpage is how people are finding us. It's how they're looking for us, and it's how they are finding us. And we need to really learn to up our uh, our game as far as what is our online and social media presence, because we either don't have one for a congregation or it is never updated. And so it looks forlorn and unused and, and uninviting, or we have a social presence like a Facebook account that's only for members. It doesn't say that, but by practice it is. It's all information that it assumes you know everybody and you know what's going on and that kind of thing. So when I um, visit congregations, a lot of times before I go, I'll go online and see what their online presence is. And I find congregations that have a beautiful photo of their building or maybe their congregation, but it doesn't say what time they meet for worship or, um, or the last post was in 2012 or that kind of a thing. And, and so, we need to learn those social media practices that are part of our intentional preparation of invitation, welcome, and hospitality. Absolutely. We need to make sure that they are geared, not for us, but geared for the person who is just encountering us. I know that that's one thing that the gala organization has had to redo recently in the last year or so. Um, all of the materials were very in-house and so if you picked up a flyer at, say, a Sunstone event or a Pride Parade or reunion, you know, whatever, um, it read like you already knew what gala was or you knew what what the information was all about, you, you yeah. know. So from an outsider, it was very confusing. It wasn't it wasn't clear on what what the organization was about. And I do think that we get that sometimes with our congregations. Mm-hmm. I see it mostly in, um, in congregational life, not so much on the social media, but I see it on Sunday morning in the period of time where we've just welcomed everybody and we're going to now do announcements and then sharing and caring, right? Sharing joys and concerns. So the announcements are all in-house and they're always presented as if everybody knows what's going on. But if you have a visitor there, they don't, they don't know what's going on. And not only that, even if they get a, a gist of, there's a, women's book club meeting or there's a family camp starting they don't know that they're invited to something like that they don't they don't know who's invited or who it's for or anything else and so i try to encourage people to offer both the um announcements and the the sharing of joys and concerns in language 
that is intentionally framed as if nobody there knows anything. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's just a general way to do it. I just um, think when, when we go at it from that perspective, we tend to explain more about what's going on. In that case, we need to explain more. In joys and concerns, we need to explain less. Mm. <laughs> so in, in joys and concerns, I think it's it's wonderful part of our community expression. And we, we share our concerns and, and people's health problems. But we need to share less of people's personal information and more about our concern for their well-being. Both of those are helpful when we talk about preparing to be invitational and welcoming and hospitable. Because I, if I'm a, if I'm a new person, I don't want to know that if something happens to me, you're going to be blabbing my personal, um, details to the entire congregation. I mean, that's just a huge red flag for people. Yeah. Well, and I know that in Salt Lake, we've talked about how do we get the announcements out on social media and do we just, you know, maybe even take a picture? Cause we do, uh, we have a prayer list and then we have our calendar, our announcements. So we've wondered, you know, do we just take a picture of that, throw it up on Facebook? But I've been hesitant for that. Cause I'm like, I don't think our prayer list should be out there for the whole world. Cause then you deal with confidentiality issues and, you know, Mary Jo might not want everyone to know that we're praying for her. And so being, being mindful of those things, I think is really important. This brings up the question about uh, preparing for sacraments. Um, in Salt Lake, we usually will say, and and I have been to, well, I, I don't know if I've actually taken communion from very many other congregations, but we tend to over, well, I don't know, over explain things, but we, we over explain things compared to other congregations. I think we usually will mention that in community of Christ, we all kneel. We will say that the, um, bread is, we have a gluten-free option and that the wine is unfermented grape juice. And we're very intentional about explaining communion. And I know some people kind of find that odd. So I'm just, I guess, wondering, side note, like what your thoughts on that are, because I feel like we have so many new visitors that suddenly when everyone's kneeling and they're like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to kneel too, but they don't necessarily know why. They don't know if they can take communion. So we always make sure that we say that it's an open communion um, and that all are welcome to partake. Um, but we, th- this has been a conversation in our congregation of when do we just start doing it like every other congregation or do we still have to keep explaining how just the function of communion works? I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Like every other congregation. Well, actually, the, congreg- the congregations, and this is not Salt Lake. These are congregations where they might have a visitor once in a while, but they are intentional. Mm-hmm. They are intentional about preparing to offer Christ-like hospitality. So they do just what you're doing. They do the explaining. Yeah. They do the invitation to everybody to partake. It's glu- the stuff in the cup is gluten-free. There's water. Um, it's unfermented grape juice. They do the whole thing. Um, not just for communion, but for other things too. Mm-hmm. So if it's a baby blessing, it's today we're having a baby blessing. It's a sacrament in community of Christ. We're excited that this happens. There'll be a charge to the family and, and uh, a prayer for the, for the baby. We're so glad you're here. So um, to stop doing that, to be like every other congregation, the every other congregation you're talking about are the ones that are not invitational and hospitable. Okay. Right. Yeah. So when you're, when you're in tune to the idea that, you want to be open to new people and you want to be the person that reduces anxiety for that person's experience. You're going to explain in a gentle guiding kind of way. And I think that's a great thing. I think Salt Lake does a terrific job of that, that other congregations could learn from. 
Yeah, I just know that we've had some visitors from, you know, lifelong community Christ people and they'll question, you know, oh, why did you give a three minute explanation on communion? Like we just do communion. But Mm -hmm. I I don't remember the last time we didn't have a visitor. Um, Or, I mean, maybe if, you know, even if, because we only do communion once a month, the person might have been with us for three weeks, but this is their first communion experience. So they haven't had everyone just suddenly kneel in the middle of the service before. Right, right. So it's important to do that in, and to recognize who your participants are. And because you're, you're caring about them. It isn't about me. It's not really about the members. I mean, we come and worship together, but we're doing this in such a way that everybody feels that they have place there, right? Everybody is welcome there. So one time I was doing a confirmation for a woman who had been baptized and was joining the church and her whole family were Catholic and they were very concerned about the fact that she had left the Catholic faith and joined the community of Christ. And I was asked to speak before the confirmation. And I remember sitting down and making sure that at the beginning of my remarks, I talked about the connections that we have with Catholicism and the, the gift that that tradition had blessed this person with. And because she grew up in that tradition. She was blessing now the congregation. So those remarks weren't for the congregation she was joining. Although in a way, I guess it, it was because it was kind of a, was kind of a Pauline moment of putting you on notice people. I expect you to, to respect and value her Christian heritage, but really it was for her family to recognize that. And I did it so they would feel welcome there. Yeah, more explanation that can allow people to feel connected and to feel like, yeah, I could have, I can be here. I can have place here, the better. And I think it's, it's all about intention. I know your story, um, thank you for sharing that, uh, reminded me of when Robin gave my ordination charge. Um, I was pretty intentional about having her speak because I knew that there was a chance that people would be able or would, would come. Um, and she was able to do something similar to find that balance and to acknowledge the journey. Um, and, and, uh, and to the point that it was comforting and welcoming for my family that was there and my friends that were there, um, that are still LDS, um, and kind of just a reminder of to all of us that, um, in, in my circumstance, a lot of my congregation has been in this, in my same shoes. Um, but just that intentional reminder, um, that we really at the root of it are the kingdom of God together. Like we're all like, we're all in it together. Um, and yeah, I think that it's, it's closely tied to being intentional, um, which that intentionality makes us invitational. So, so it's interesting in community of Christ because, you know, we grew up with the same kind of, um, language and rhetoric, if you will, that LDS folks grew up with. And that is one and only true church. We're the one and only true church. And you, all you people might not recognize it, but we know that that's who we are. And that has changed. It's no longer part of how we understand our identity and our calling, but there's still a legacy of that in community of Christ. And I think it sometimes plays into why we are, um, why we struggle a bit with invitation and hospitality or why we are that best kept secret that you, um, as spoke of John Hamer's comment. There's the idea that, that we know that who we are and that because I've been a part of it since I was a kid and I have heritage here, that somehow my experience is more of more value than your 
experience. And only if you come in and learn to act like me and assimilate as quickly as possible, are you a true community of Christ person. Mm -hmm. And that gets played out in some, in some really interesting ways in congregational life that people don't even recognize that that's kind of what's happening. But it's something that in community of Christ, we need to learn to identify and to kind of deal with and, and talk about and let it kind of vaporize into thin air and not, not be a part of what's inhibiting our, our invitation and our, our welcome of other people because we don't want other Christians to sense that about us. We want them to sense that we are in this together. Yeah. And I can only imagine. I'm just thinking on like a, a personal level for people who are lifelong members who have gone through those different stages of theology um, and one true churchism. Um, and I, I, I sympathize with that. I mean, it would be difficult to remain in the same church of your childhood and have it look different. And even if you're okay with those differences to still not fall back into some of the old patterns of behavior mm-hmm. and thought and of, you know, missionary work of trying to convert people because you are the one true church and mm-hmm. you have to do it my way because this is right. And that I can see how that would spill over in, in a lot of different areas. Well, and especially when we're talking about welcoming people from the LDS tradition who are leaving the LDS tradition or exploring options to the LDS tradition, there is a lot of that that kind of comes out in the congregational expression that, that when we are talking about offering hospitality, we need to be just aware of that and, do our best to reframe that in our own thinking. Yeah. And I know that um, I, about a year ago, I attended kind of a mini session of uh, the Latter-day Seeker workshop that goes around to different congregations. Um, I kind of got a quick overview of it, um, but I have read the materials too. And I, I really appreciate that there's a section in there that kind of acknowledges that community of Christ people, in order to be fully present with Latter-day Seekers, need to acknowledge their own pain um, with the relationships between the two churches and need to work through that and to say, you know, like we, we have felt harmed, we have felt persecuted, but we're going to move forward. And it's an, it, again, it's an intentional decision about, um, making themselves whole so they can be in a place where they can be welcoming to, to Latter-day Seekers. Yeah. Or at least on the path to, to wholeness. Yeah. 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 So it is in, in everything that we are talking about, about um, invitation, welcome, hospitality, it is about being intentional. And to be intentional, we have to be willing to have honest conversations with ourselves, with our congregations, and put the practices in place to help us move into that space of hospitality. And it's a real blessing when you do, when you give up some of the other stuff and let it kind of fall to the wayside, you can actually kind of breathe more, more freely, I guess. Yeah. Uh, when you're in that open kind of environment that's welcoming others. Well, I know for me on a personal note, because I definitely have been in the one true church era of my own life. Um, I'm so much less of a jerk. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just a lot less judgmental and I, I recognize my own faults, um, right along with, with other people's, but I, I'm not as, I'm just not as judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is liberating. It, it's, it's exciting to say like, I don't have all the answers. So let's walk together and, and try to figure it yeah. out together. Yeah. I guess to get back to what you were talking about when people walk in the doors, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the physical materials that you would recommend congregations having on hand? Um, I know in Salt Lake, like we, the pastor has kind of talked about 
this idea that we want to have people leave with something, whether that's a phone number, whether that's a Facebook friend invitation, whether that's a Doctrine and Covenants, whether that's a sharing in community of Christ, um, we want people to to leave with something. So what are some of those things that you think are important? Yeah, I agree. Living with something is, um, it is important. Hopefully they're leaving with a good experience. That would be, you know, number one, because no resource is going to take the place of that. But there are some basic things that every congregation should have available and not only available, like not, not only out in the, wherever people gather, if it's not the foyer, then for heaven's sakes, move your resources to wherever it is that people gather before and after church. But, um, but those things would be, uh, the, the sharing in community of Christ, community of Christ identity, message, mission, and beliefs. That's a basic community of Christ piece that should be available for people to pick up. But there should also be somebody in the congregation who kind of, I don't want to say watches the resource area, but let me put it this way instead. One time you and I were talking after church and somebody went over to where all the resources are on the wall and they're kind of looking, they're reading the titles and they're going by them. And I remember thinking out loud to you, somebody needs to go over there and and stand there with that person because they don't know what they're looking at. You could see that they were trying to, they were picking things up and kind of leafing through them and not too sure. There was nothing there that said if they could take them. Mm. There was nothing that said they were free or they had a cost. Um, there wasn't even any kind of guide on what they were. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and so people are, unco- I'm uncomfortable in that situation, right? People are a little bit uncomfortable. And so someone needs to be kind of cognizant of that, that the people might be uncomfortable about that. You could even have a, an announcement, right? Or something in the bulletin that there are resources available, but back to what they should be. Basic sharing and community of Christ. That's, that's just a basic. And not only should you have them, but everybody in the congregation should know what's in it, right? So that when they get asked a question, they know where, where to go to, to help people find that answer. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think is really important for people to have are the understanding the way of the second edition. That is a really helpful piece, especially when folks already have a basic Christian understanding or they're coming from another faith tradition, whether it's LDS or someone else, it helps them go a little bit deeper into what community of Christ believes theologically, not just our kind of general principles. Those are just basic things. And then those blue, I think they're called promise cards. I don't know why that makes me think of the the evangelical thing where you promise to not have sex before you're married, but that's not what they are. They're, they're, they're invitations, right? They're, they're a, I don't know, three by six card or three by seven card that offers this really well articulated invitation to participate in community of Christ. And those should, gosh, I think those should be in the backs of all the pews and the chairs and congregations so people can see those and read those. The other, I guess the last basic I would say that is like a mandatory resource is to have a kid's class ready to go, even if you don't have kids. So the resource that I recommend people to have is called First Steps. It's an old resource that most congregations have in what they call their pastor study area or their library is. And it's 10 lessons, 10 intergenerational lessons with a materials list and an absolute how to do this lesson. It's just like a script that you go through. And you can actually take any of those lessons and get the materials and put it in a large plastic container and label it. And with that container and a human being, you are set to do a kid's class. And every congregation should have that so that when somebody shows up who does have a child, you're prepared. We're prepared to offer ministry. If you're a congregation that um, 
has had the Latter-day Seeker class or thinks you may be having um, LDS folks visit or, or you have had folks visit from the LDS tradition, then there's some additional things that are important to have. So the, the illustrated history of Community of Christ is an excellent uh, resource to have available for people that come from the Restoration tradition but are trying to understand where Community of Christ kind of is in this whole experience compared to their experience. The Doctrine and Covenants you mentioned is um, really well-received by people from not just Restoration traditions, but other Christian traditions to understand that Community of Christ has this way of of solemnizing the inspired council that moves us forward as a body. And so that's a really important resource to have. Now, a lot of folks probably not listening to this podcast, but um, folks who are longtime members of Community of Christ and have have an affinity for the Book of Mormon and its um, uh, historicity, they might want to um, insist that Book of Mormons are available to give out. And, you know, that's okay if they really feel that way. But I think more importantly, the book that Dale Luffman wrote called uh, The Book of Mormon's Witness to Its First Readers, framing the Book of Mormon as as a an experience of 18th century American religious phenomena. I think that is a helpful resource to have available as well for people to kind of understand where where they might fit in this whole understanding of restoration scripture. And then I have, uh, I have, I have my own personal list of things that congregations should not have on hand. This is for long, this is for long time community of Christ congregations. You know who you are. You still, you still have those tracks out there that are the different colors and they say reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on the bottom of them. And, um, those have no place in our current, um, understanding tracks with outdated policies. Because we have changed our baptismal policy, we've changed our understanding of marriage and ordination, and so all of those pieces of material should go away, as should pieces of information that are just simply out, the information's outdated. The contact person listed at, at World Church no longer works there or has passed on in some cases. Um, all of those things should not be available um, to give out. So when I visit congregations, I have been known to go over to the track rack. I probably shouldn't confess this, but um, I I swipe all that stuff. I just shove it in my pockets or my purse or my tote bag or whatever I have. If I don't have a pocket, I will go to the person I find might be most complicit with me and stuff their pockets with it. And then I, I take it home and I recycle it. Yeah. So if you're in a congregation where all that stuff magically disappeared one day, you can probably bet it was me. I kind of love that. <laughs> well, and I, I think that it, it is important because when people are coming in, they want to know where Community of Christ is at. I think our journey, our theological and historical journey and relationship with Book of Mormon, things like that, they're important and they have their time and place in discussion. But when I'm showing up to a church on Sunday, I don't really care what was going on in 1982. I want to know what's happening now. Right. Right. So I think the other piece that um, that we don't realize in Community of Christ that is a valuable resource that says um, the loudest message of who we are is Community of Christ sings the new mm-hmm. hymnal. That 
that resource is a treasure. And we have just scratched the surface on ways to share it, to help other people understand not just who we are, but who we are called to be and to become. So having those out where people gather that they can just kind of peruse um, is a wonderful resource as well. And to have them in our congregations and preferably not right next to the red hymnal and the gray hymnal and the gold hymnal and the sing for peace hymnal, but rather specifically the community Christians. Yeah, to have it front and center. I know um, in Salt Lake, we have a few copies that we have um, given away. Um, and I know that, I mean, it is, an, it is an expensive resource and a lot of these mm-hmm. resources are, some of them are. Um, but I think that it, it could be beneficial to maybe have an extra copy in your library that you can check out to people. So it, it's a, a loan thing. Um, same with the Dale Luffman book. I know that those are a little bit on the expensive side. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can have other ones as, as, as well. You can have the, the three volume church history that Mark Shearer wrote to check out for someone who's interested in that. I know we have a lot of congregations where, there are a lot of folks visiting that they have those available on a, a checkout borrowing kind of basis. So, absolutely. And the hymnal, I mean, I've given away congregations hymnals. I try to tell the pastor afterward that I did it, but if, if I'm talking to someone and they're, they're a visitor and they're going on and on about the hymnal and how much they love it, I give it to them. Yeah. And since I don't have a home congregation, I guess I'm actually giving away other people's stuff, but I'm sorry. I confess. Lent is coming. I will give that up, that practice up for Lent. <laughs> well, I think it's a good one. Um, and I know for me, when I got my hymnal at women's retreat and I read it like scripture, I had a really yeah. Yeah. damaged relationship with scripture at that time. And so I thought, you know, I, I don't want to pick up my Bible. Certainly I don't want to pick up my Book of Mormon, but I, I needed something and I wanted to know where community price was. And so I read it cover to cover, just like poetry. And it, it was a huge, huge part of my conversion. So mm-hmm. I say, if you can give out hymnals, give out hymnals, or at least yeah. allow them to be checked out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so another question that I wanted to ask is this is uh, some seekers have, have asked me about this and I never really know exactly what to tell them. Um, I've had a couple friends who have started attending a congregation, maybe three, four, five, six months even, and they want to get involved whether that's read a scripture in worship or whether that's do the prayer for peace or whether that's actually teach a lesson or if they have something in their professional life that they think the congregation could benefit from. Um, and sometimes they've been met with hesitancy because maybe they're not a member yet or they don't feel like they've been involved enough or whatever. So I guess my question is, and the topic that I want to raise is, how can congregations help include seekers, whether they come from an LDS background or not? I'm just talking generic visitors. Um, how do you get to that point where the person is no longer just a visitor, but they're an, a part of the congregation, whether mm-hmm. that happens officially or unofficially, but they are actually involved doing yeah. elements of communal stuff? So I think we see that dilemma a lot now because we have more visitors coming um, to Community of Christ. And, and oftentimes we don't include them simply because we don't think, we don't think that that, that people would even want to, right? 
Um, and that says a lot about how we view ministry because sometimes we view it as a burden as, a, Oh my gosh, I have to do the sermon on Sunday. So I have to prepare this and it's so hard. And, or I hate having to do this every Sunday, preparing the bulletin or whatever it is. Um, if we view it as a burden, we certainly would think other people would. So why would they want to do that? So I think that's, I hear that sometimes. The other thing is that, well, they're not members. Why would they want to participate? Right. So we have this kind of, this demarcation line that says here membership is this line of, of where you are um, okay to serve or where you are committed enough or where you are now eligible to do certain things. But in reality, there's no line there. Right? So if I come to your congregation several times, even though I'm not a member of the church or a member of your congregation, I obviously feel an affinity toward this group of people. And I feel like part of the community here when we gather. And so a congregation could simply begin to open themselves on how they go about accomplishing the different elements of being a faith community. And by that, I mean, um, a lot of times I'll see in a bulletin an announcement that says something like um, worship planning team is meeting on Tuesday night. If you want to preside in the next quarter, contact Alice. Right. So what would that look like, though, if the announcement, either verbal or in print, was we're going to be planning worships for the next three months? Sometimes we have the same people doing things over and over again. We want everyone here to know that. Member or not, you're welcome to participate in the service. And if you're interested, Alice is the person in charge. Alice, stand up so everybody can see you. So, you know, there's Alice. And uh, if she doesn't get anyone come to talk to her, she'll probably be around talking to you. So don't be surprised. And Alice and the pastor have had a conversation. And Alice knows to talk to people who are there all the time or on a regular basis but aren't members, right? So it's a it's that intentionality again. How are we intentional about including all the members of our worshiping community, not just the members of the church, and finding ways to articulate that? And it it's the same thing with doing service projects. I might not be a member, but I mean, at Salt Lake, you guys go and you cook a meal at a boys' shelter once a month. And so you do a really good job about talking about that and inviting people to sign up to do that. But part of that inviting is... Even if you're here for the very first time, if this is something that sounds like you'd like to do it, we would love to have your help. Or if you have a friend who you think this would work for, put them in contact with us. We would love to share together in doing this. And it's just being intentional about how you are articulating your community life together so that it's open. Yeah, this might be a little bit off, but <laughs> when you were talking, it reminded me of... of uh in Salt Lake, we've struggled a little bit to find people that want to work with the kids. I think they feel like maybe they'll get stuck with the kids or whatever. But ironically, a lot of the moms, the new moms that are bringing their kids, we have three or four uh, brand new young families. That, and their their parents are willing to be with the kids. But in Community of Christ, we have a process that has to be walked through uh, for youth worker certification. So we are finding ways to get to know them to uh, have those classes, but um, so they can be um, eligible to work with kids once they've been with us for six months or whatever the policy is. Um, but I have found that explaining that process is really, really helpful to those families because even though we're basically telling them, sorry, you can't teach the kids yet. Um, they're actually really appreciative of knowing that we take our 
youth ministry seriously. So they, mm-hmm. they are appreciative that their kids are with someone who has had a background check, who has had training. Um, and we, you know, follow the open door policy and, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so just explaining how we do things where we just might be going through the motions and we don't necessarily think about it. Um, but I remember just explaining it to one of our new parents and just seeing how impressed she was by that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I was impressed by that when I first realized that's how Community of Christ handles children's ministry. Um, but I have just been kind of in the rut with it and, you know, trying to get people to help out. But um, just explaining how we do things yeah. sometimes can be yeah. can be exciting for uh, new visitors. Uh, there's a congregation that I visit quite often. and they're someone was being confirmed, I think. And so there were a lot of visitors. There were several kids. And so they had a kid's class out in the fellowship hall during worship because there were so many small children. And the presider made a comment about, you know, we have a class available if you want to take your kids out there and, you know, they'll be doing whatever during worship. And that was great. That was a wonderful invitation. However, people hesitated because they don't, they don't really know what that means. What is the class? Who is doing it? Et cetera, et cetera. And so what does that look like to go further and say, in community of Christ, we make sure, you know, we have this um, available and, and the teachers practice, have best practices of being certified. And, and so you can, you can send your children to that class assured that we are doing our very best for their safety and well-being during the class. Now I feel very different about sending my child, right? Because you've prepared for me. Yeah. Exactly. I think it, it's really meaningful. Well, I was just thinking there was something else about inviting people into um, participating that um, that is helpful. And that is to be intentional about planning to say yes. So I need to know, so I'm the Krishna director, or I'm the worship planner, or whatever it is. I need to to try to work around so that yes is the answer that comes when people ask me a question. So that people don't feel shut down. So, um, someone comes up to you and says, I would like to teach the kids class and, and I'm pretty good with that. And I have some ideas and I'd be willing to start next month. Well, you know that there's a youth worker registration that needs to, and and so you could easily say, well, no, we have to do that. Or you can say, yes, that would be great. Here's what we need to do to make that happen. And then you get to do the explanation. But what people heard first is yes. Yes, we would love to have that, that ministry. Um, I have this new, uh, friendship with some folks in a congregation not too far from where I live. And he has a job in computer. He works for Microsoft. And when he was confirmed, he said two things to, he asked me two questions right off the bat, which my jaw hit the ground. The first one was, um, how do I contribute financially? And we don't hear that a lot in community of Christ. So I didn't, I didn't have an answer there right off the tip of my tongue, but I did get to one. And the second was, um, how do, how do I use my skills to, to benefit the church? How do I do that? And, and finding, you know, getting to a yes with that, with what he has to offer was, it has actually been more difficult than I thought because we don't have immediate outlets for people with technical skills, right? With computer skills. To- we're, we're getting there. And Steve, if you're listening, you know, I'm talking about you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's getting that yes out there and being willing to say, 
well, yes, we've never had a class for three-year-olds before, but how exciting to do that. Let me think about what other three-year-olds I could invite to that. Or yes, we've never, you know, had goats mow our lawn as an organic feature, but let me think about how we could get, you know, whatever it is that seems um, it might get a no right off the bat. Let's, let's intentionally prepare ourselves to get to a yes. It's really interesting that you brought that up because I'm struggling as a parent right now with my little seven-year-old twins and I'm listening to a couple different parenting books and that is one of the main takeaways from one of them is to, you know, if a kid comes to you and wants something is don't just immediately shut them down, you know, explore different options and say, okay, well, I, I hear what you're saying and this is, this is a path that we can go, that we can take to get to that that route so i mean these are basically just human skills that it is isn't it somehow need to be reminded of i was a missionary coordinator in a jurisdiction one time and and um somebody came to me with some ideas and i thought we can make this work this is good so i went to the jurisdictional officer and i pitched it uh, and they were like oh no we can't do that because abc and i thought wait a minute let's hear the value of the suggestion first and if there are hoops we have to get through okay let's deal with that but let's Let's at least validate that this is a possibility, right? Yeah, it's the human experience. Let's worth of all persons. Let's value the other person's um, experience or request or giftedness. And and I like to um, when there's like an announcement of something of like a potluck announcement, right? We're having potluck after church, and we have lots of visitors. Don't worry, you didn't bring anything. We have plenty for everyone. You know, please stay. I like to follow up on that person's announcement. And so when I'm chatting with the visitor, I feel like, you're staying for potluck, right? Oh, you know, no, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I feel weird about it too. And I'm not ever sure about, you know, how clean people's kitchens are, if they're a good cook. But, you know, follow me and we'll pick our way through it. Whatever. Yeah, I actually say that about potluck. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've had some interesting potluck experience. I have. <laughs> I have. I lived in Arkansas. Yes, I have. So. But being, I, I take the responsibility. I plan ahead to be that person that follows up with the invitation that's issued, right? And to do so in an utterly authentic way that allows people to see who I am, that I'm not, you know, this churchy person that is trying to convince them to, to join my foundation, but rather that I'm just kind of a, a weird person that would love to get to know them. Yeah, I think that follow-up is so important. I mean, I'm thinking just straight off the example that you use with potlucks. Um, it's been a little bit awkward in our congregation because our fellowship hall is right off of the sanctuary. And sometimes we have the divider open, sometimes we have it closed. And people in the congregation just kind of mosey on over there whenever and start eating. But then a lot of times there's just visitors and, and, and sometimes, you know, we'll bless the food with the closing prayer or sometimes we'll have the closing prayer, um, or the, the blessing on the food with the potluck when we're all gathered, but we're not necessarily consistent with it and it can cause confusion. And, you know, sometimes with the doors being open or closed, um, I can see how it would be really confusing just our potluck situation. And what like, am I supposed to do? Up? Yeah. And where do I go? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What would that look like though? If the, if, at the end of the service, if, it's, if the person giving the prayer said, I'm going to bless the food for the potluck, as I offer this benediction and then in the prayer, I mean, why not bless the food and bless our visitors and we hope they stay and and share in this with us. Yeah. And it's something just so easy that you can do it in two sentences and then it, you know, brings you back to that initial announcement and maybe people have forgotten, maybe 
Absolutely. And then if, if I'm there, if you're there, if other people who have been intentional are there, they then follow up in their conversations, right? Oh, the door's opening for potluck. If we don't get there first, the kids will eat all the pizza or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good. I do want to talk about being invitational to people that like might make us uncomfortable. Yeah. And you asked that, you said, you know, what about being invitational to you put it in quotes as that kind of person, you know, the people, the icky people, whoever that is for us, right. Whether those kind of people are for us, what does that look like? Well, and you have really good stories about that. So, well, I only because I've learned the hard way through most of this, right. So I always think, Oh, I'm not biased. I'm not prejudiced. I don't have, you know, groups of people that I have innate antipathy. Is that the word I want? No, that's not the right word. But you know what I mean. Groups I don't like. I don't have icky people categories. Yes, I do. I run up against that all the time. Um, Yeah. So I don't have a really good response for that on how to be invitational to that kind of person. Because I do it out of a sense of it's part of my nature. Right? Mm -hmm. So I don't really think about it. I just tend to gravitate towards who's on the margin, who isn't being included in that group talking over there. I'll go sit with that person that no one has sat with, right? So that's always kind of been my nature. So I don't really have a, have a here's how you learn, you know, to do that, um, overcome that. But I do think that the whole um, aspect of putting on I think the, the scriptural phrase is to clothe yourself with compassion, to actually go into a situation, putting on that poncho, we'll make it a poncho, a red one for compassion, putting that on. And so now I am prepared that everything I'm going to do today is going to be from a perspective of compassion. Then I'm more willing to engage with people who make me crazy or people who don't look like me or people who um, are difficult than I would if I don't intentionally prepare. So we're back to that intentionality again, because I don't think compassion just happens. I think we have to choose it all the time. And I'm not really good at that because I don't, hmm, like I said, I do it out of second nature. I don't do it out of as an act of compassion where I'm right trying to offer empathy or, or anything along that line. I just simply do it because it needs to be done, I guess. So if I intentionally put on compassion, then I am prepared to interact in a different way. So I think when I thought about this in relation to to Jesus, I was thinking about the fact that Jesus was all about uh, walking with all the wrong kind of people, Right. And we read that and we recognize that Jesus did that to kind of show the disciples and, and we extrapolate that out to mean us, show us um, how we are to be when we engage with people. And Jesus does it marvelously, right? He talks with people about relevant things. I mean, the women had five husbands and um, Jesus addressed hard truths with people. So you think about Zacchaeus and that experience and Jesus, you know, was honest. Um, Jesus encourages people to stand up for justice, to act with kindness, all of those kinds of things. And he was always showing that our, our personal agenda or our personal need for control or our personal desires or our personal territorialism or sense of ownership or whatever it might be needs to be set aside. 
because that's not helpful. It's compassion. And I, I was kind of going along that line. And then I thought, wait, wait a minute. What if Jesus wasn't acting? So this is just like theological wandering. Okay. So this, this is not community of Christ, whatever. This is just me wandering around theologically to figure out what's going on in my brain. So what if Jesus was not acting out of compassion? What if Jesus was not always marvelously keyed in, you know, to other people and, and what they needed? What if? Jesus was simply working through his own stuff, right? What if he, like me, is product of his upbringing and his culture as an observant Jew, and he now encounters the Samaritan woman? What if what goes through his mind is, crap, the Samaritan woman? Okay, clothe myself with compassion. And so, you know, he goes over to kind of work through his own issues dealing with them. What if that? Zacchaeus, man, he is such a pain in the butt and he rips people off. I don't like them. Okay. I'm going to go over and talk to him. But if that's what was going on and maybe that's the modeling I need to kind of look at. I mean, we have the story where the woman, the Syrophoenician woman shows up and wants Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus is like, Hey, I'm not called to you. Back off, lady. And she really gives him a run for his money, right? Hey, wait a minute. What about, and, and she doesn't back off. I mean, she was a pushy woman and I can just see him out of his culture as a male thinking, who do you think you are? But then, you know, his conscience gets pricked. Wait a minute. Why can't I? If I'm going to act like Jesus to be truthful, I'm probably more like that Jesus than I am the, you know, wonderful, uh, compassionate, loving Jesus that we like to trot out as our model. Well, I love that because it makes Jesus ever more relatable. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's where I went with it. So, No, I think it's really good. I mean, I I think it it, it gives hope because I, I like to think that this kind of stuff is second nature to me, but sometimes I... I don't know if it is because a lot of times at church, like I'm distracted by my three kids running around and Mm -hmm. pretending that they're Elvis pounding on the piano. (laughs) So sometimes I, it it can be easy for me to think like, Oh, Carla's got that person or Oh, Tyler's Mm -hmm. got that person and and not, not really focus on it. Um, And sometimes I can use that to my advantage to be like, Oh, I remember I had one conversation with them and it did not go super great. Yeah. So I'm just going to let them take it. And, and I, um, you know, might inwardly celebrate that a little bit, which is bad. <laughs> but I think that um, being intentional, like we keep coming back to being intentional about it and, and saying, you know, maybe even the best of the best have to be intentional about things and that maybe it doesn't always have to come naturally. Maybe sometimes we just stick our necks out there and go, all right, buckle up. Here we go. And and uh, we have to put ourselves <laughs> And, uh, well, that, I think it's like that. So, so I'm, I'm a 70 and in community Christ, that priesthood office, um, is all about invitation, right? And so we kind of live and breathe that invitation, welcome and hospitality and everybody feeling like um, they have a place there. But I'm not, um, a people person. I'm a real introvert. And so, um, in fact, I'm not even sure I like people all that much. And, and so I struggle with, you know, working through that on a regular basis. But where was I going with that? I went on a tangent and now I lost what I was saying. Oh, okay. So when I'm home, I don't want to talk to people. 
right? So I don't want to go out. I don't, I just want to hole up and like um, re-energize myself because being with people has just sucked all the life out of me. Mm-hmm. And I realized in my neighborhood, Ray knows all the neighbors. I don't know my neighbors. I know the one right next door and one across the street, but I, I don't know these people. They drive by and wave and I, and I don't talk to them. And so when it was getting ready to put together the hospitality class to come down to Salt Lake, I had a little bit of a, a come to Jesus moment, if you will. And it was like, wow, Karen, when was the last time you really offered hospitality? I mean, not in church, not teaching about it, not, you know, modeling it, but actually did it. And so I announced to Ray that we were going to have a hospitality experiment and, uh, and he was going to, he was going to help me. And so what we did was we um, decided to serve hot cider on the sidewalk in front of our house to all the neighbors one evening during the Christmas season. And so I made up these little invitations and raised on the homeowners association board. So we got, you know, we knew who all the people were and made up these little invitations and Ray and I took our dog and we went to every house and knocked on the door and invited them to come when they're walking their dog or don't have a dog, just come on by in the evening on a certain day and we're going to have hot cider. And so now I've issued the invitation. So now I need to do the preparation and, and I'm pretty good at that. So I'm organized. I get it all going. And we, I mean, we put extra Christmas lights. We brought all of the lawn chairs out on the front lawn. We put pretty red blankets on them. So they look Christmassy. We had Christmas music piping out through the window. I had the table with a beautiful tablecloth and my crock pot full of hot apple cider and my extension cord. Um, Ray was worried about, you know, personal risk management. So he's trying to duct tape it to the lawn so that nobody trips over the extension cord. And we had biscuits for the dogs. And we, I mean, we're just set to go. And then, you know, five o'clock comes. And that's just, this is the appointed hour and people are going to start coming. I'm ready to go in the house because <laughs> people are going to show up, right? So I realized I'm really good at the, the preparation. It's the, it's the practice I was having a hard time with. So, you know, we get our coats on and we, we stayed out there and people came and they had hot cider and they brought their dogs and we visited and it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. But it gave me some insight into, I mean, I talk about this all the time and I, I try to help people in congregations walk through it. And in, in my own life, gosh, I struggle with it. So I guess um, the reason to share that is I, I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm not a real gregarious person, so I shouldn't be the one to go and talk to folks, or um, I don't know enough, or um, I, would, I don't know what to say, whatever, all the excuses that we use. No, I'm a crotchety old lady that's not even sure they like people, and if I could do it, anybody can. Oh, Karen. Well, that's the truth. And I think... Again, it, it makes all of this relatable that we start where we're at. We talk with who we have and we, we just keep inviting. And I think that that's one, one good thing about the mission prayer is that it keeps us open to these opportunities. Um, you know, and, and helps us recognize maybe when opportunities will come about. And it makes us look at ourselves and say, you know, I don't really know our neighbors and I can relate to that. I used to know my neighbors. But when we left the LDS church, people just move and whatever. And, and because I don't go to church with them, I now don't know them at all. Well, actually, it's kind of funny. We'll have people knock on our door for friends of scouting or trick-or-treating even or whatever. And they're like, oh, are you new in the neighborhood? No, we've been here for six years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? 
and and yeah and yet i'm trying to create a congregation of being invitational but i i don't yeah. necessarily do it in my yeah. own neighborhood so yeah so i have to you know for integrity wise i have to be willing to practice those things exactly. and so i am pretty good about keeping myself open you know when i'm traveling and and talking to people and i'm constantly listening i think part of invitation too is constantly listening to figure out okay that person's well first i'm listening right I'm not the one talking. I'm listening to other people. And if somebody tells me, you know, that they live in a town where I know people, you know, you automatically go, oh, I know somebody that lives there. You mention it, right? And so to put those kind of skills to work when we're talking about invitation to hospitality with people in congregational life, it's the same thing. Someone comes in and says, I'm a, an assistant at a veterinarian's office, and I know that so-and-so over here loves dogs. I'm going to connect those two people, right? I'm going to. I'm going to work to make that, that a network of people. And so having a class on hospitality or even reading Tammy Lindell's book, it's been out for a long time, it's uh, from Harold House on hospitality, is a really good place to start with that and learning how to open ourselves and be willing to get to a yes with other people and to welcome them and to love them and to be present with them so, and to care about who they are and to be authentic with them. Thank you. This was really good. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. Dave Hines